Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this year's Lenten Midweek series, and especially on this Ash Wednesday. On this night, the Church begins a holy season of prayerful and penitential reflection. Our attention is especially directed to the holy sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. From ancient times, the season of Lent has been kept as a time of special devotion, self-denial, and humble repentance, born of a faithful heart that dwells confidently on His Word and draws from it life and hope. Let us pray that our dear Father in Heaven, for the sake of His beloved Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit, might richly bless this Lenten tide for us, so that we may come to Easter with glad hearts and keep the feast in sincerity and truth. I mentioned last Sunday that Lent is a time to reflect and remember that it wasn't just those ancient sinners who were responsible for our Lord's crucifixion. Our hands are dirty too, and it was also our sins that made it necessary for Jesus to suffer and die that we might be saved. He died for all the sins for all time, so that not only our hands, but our hearts could be washed clean. From dirty hands to clean hearts. That's the approach we're taking to this year's Lenten Midweek Reflections on the Passion Story of Our Lord. Hands aren't good or evil in themselves. We use them every day for everything from brushing our teeth to checking our email. But what we do with our hands can sometimes be a reflection of what's in our hearts. Because hands are such an indispensable part of people's lives, it should come as no surprise that human hands also figure prominently in the events surrounding our Savior's suffering and death. That's why the theme for our midweek Lenten sermons this year is Hands of the Passion, not passionate hands. Hands can sometimes be a a part of something a long way from passionate. The stories and people we'll look at connected with the final days of our Lord's life here on earth have a way of pointing back at ourselves, and that's as it should be in this season of reflection. Take tonight's lesson, the parable Jesus told of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Parables were stories the Lord told that were easily pictured by people, but on a deeper level they carried an important spiritual lesson. This one might be familiar to you, but as we look at it again, as we imagine what these men looked like and what their prayers sounded like, I want you to do something you've probably never done before. I want you to picture their hands. I want you to make a connection between the actions of their hands and the attitudes of their hearts. And based on what you see, I want you to apply what you observe to your own life, to appreciate and embrace what it means to have hands of repentance. First, listen to the story. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. 
To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The setting for this story is the temple in Jerusalem. Two fictional but very believable people have come to this sacred place for the same purpose, to pray. And both men begin their prayers with the same word, God. But that's where the similarities end. The first man is a Pharisee. Pharisees were the spiritual elite of Jewish society. Pharisees were always quick to seize the moral high ground. They were more reverent and more obedient than their fellow Jews. And this particular Pharisee wanted everyone else in the temple to know it. He prayed, God, I thank you. It was such a beautiful beginning. You or I might start a prayer that way. Christian parents teach their children to pray that way. If only the Pharisee would have stopped there. If only he would have said, Dear God, I thank you. Amen. Unfortunately, he didn't stop there. And as he continued, he revealed that his prayer was not a prayer of thanksgiving at all. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Even if the Pharisees' hands were folded together or lifted up to the heavens in prayer, what he was really doing was giving himself a verbal pat on the back. He wasn't a robber. He kept the seventh commandment. He was no adulterer. He kept the sixth commandment. The way the Pharisees saw it, he kept all the commandments. Actually, that wasn't entirely true. The Pharisee didn't believe he had merely kept the law. He was convinced that his obedience went above and beyond the requirements of the law. And just in case God hadn't noticed, he provided some specific examples at the end of his prayer. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The law of Moses required faithful Jews to fast one day out of the year. He fasted two days out of every week. And on top of that, he gave God back 10% of everything he received, whether he'd earned it or not. On the surface, the Pharisee looked very good. Because of his morality, because of his generosity, other people probably looked up to him. But what about beneath the surface? What was going on inside his head? What was in his heart? Why did he feel like he had to pray that prayer? Luke doesn't give us any details about the Pharisee's motivation, and so anything we come up with will be speculation. It's possible that he was so impressed with himself, so full of himself, so blinded by sinful pride, that he didn't realize how arrogant he was. Or perhaps he knew himself better than he was letting on. Maybe he prayed that proud prayer to mask his insecurity. 
Maybe he drew attention to the good things he'd done to deflect attention away from all the good things he hadn't done. Maybe he wasn't trying to convince the other worshipers of the temple of his special relationship with God as much as he was trying to convince himself. Ash Wednesday is about acknowledging our sinfulness. Ash Wednesday is about asking God for forgiveness. On Ash Wednesday, sinners looked at Jesus as our only hope for salvation. But because the Pharisee was unwilling to admit that he needed to be saved, because he failed to acknowledge and repent of his sins, it didn't matter how many prayers he prayed or how many good deeds he did. He went home empty-handed. Most worshipers probably didn't even take notice of the other man who was praying in the temple. He stood at a distance. His chin was buried in his chest. He was so ashamed that he clenched his hands into fists and beat his breast, Luke says. He knew what he'd done. He knew what he deserved. But instead of giving up hope, he offered up a simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector didn't try to compare himself to the really bad people to make himself look good. He didn't put together a resume of all the good things he'd done to make himself look good and feel better. Instead, he'd stared at himself in the mirror of God's law. He saw himself for the helpless sinner that he was, and he recognized that his only hope was to plead for mercy. It wasn't a long prayer, only about seven words in English, but it was a powerful prayer because it was genuine, because it was heartfelt, because it came from a heart of humble faith. And the faith of the tax collector was rewarded when Jesus declared, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus didn't share this story with a specific person or class of people. The parable wasn't addressed exclusively to the Pharisees or tax collectors or even his disciples. Luke tells us that Jesus was talking to people who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. In your own mind, as you look out into that crowd of people, can you identify anyone who fits that description? Maybe the classmate in school who's always talking about how great she is. Maybe the co-worker who's constantly trying to tell you how to do your job. Maybe the friend whose annual Christmas letter feels like an excuse to brag about his family. Or when you examine the faces in the crowd more closely, do you see who some, someone who looks a lot like you? When we complain about people who think that they're better than us, Aren't we making ourselves out to be better than them? When we criticize the people who look down on the rest of us, aren't we, in a way, looking down our noses at them? We would never stand up in front of church and call out another worshiper like the Pharisee did. But would God have the right to judge us for the way we pass judgment on each other in our hearts? Because it's so easy for us to think and act like the Pharisee, we need to imitate the example of the tax collector. We need to fold our hands and lay open our hearts. Not just on Ash Wednesday, but each and every day we need to confess, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we need to take one more look at this story and remember that there is actually a third person in this parable, the person who told it, 
If anyone had a legitimate reason to boast about himself, it was Jesus. He honored his parents. He obeyed the laws of the land. He kept every commandment of God perfectly, not for his own benefit, not so that he would have something to boast about. Everything he did, he did for you. If anyone had a legitimate reason to not be humble, it was Jesus. As true God, he knows all and sees all and rules all, and yet the creator of all things made himself nothing. He took on human flesh. He took on the role of a servant. He allowed himself to be humiliated and ultimately executed, not to pay for his own sins because he had no sin. Everything he did, he did for you. Because of his mercy, Jesus took your place. He lived a sinless life in your place and died on the cross in your place to make sure that you'll have a place at his side in heaven. Because of his mercy, Jesus gives you the gift of prayer. You can talk to him anywhere, anytime, about anything. And you always have his promise that when you pray, he'll hear you and answer you and always, always do what is best for you. Because of his mercy, Jesus gives you his true body and blood in the Holy Communion. And when you receive the sacrament, you receive the personal assurance of free and full forgiveness. Because of God's great mercy, you don't have to be weighed down by guilt. Because of his mercy, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Your Savior will be with you as long as you live. You know where you're going when you die. You can wake up each morning and retire each night with humble confidence because you are in good hands. You are in God's hands. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. I'd like to close with a prayer. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. We ask you to bless our Lenten journey. You desire not the death of a sinner, but rather that we would turn from our evil ways and live. Turn us again, O God of our salvation, and let your anger cease from us. Spare us from every evil to body and soul. Look graciously on your church and preserve the gospel among us. Renew us in this penitential season to strive against the desires of the flesh, to grow in the joy of your salvation, and to look in love and service toward our neighbors, especially those of the household of faith. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us, for to you alone we give all glory, honor, and worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. May God bless you richly during this holy time.